Romans 1, 18 to 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, even since the creation of the world and things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to them, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. If you tour British Columbia, you might interact with Destination British Columbia. Destination BC is a corporation that promotes the tourism industry of our province. Their TV commercials always end with their slogan, Super Natural British Columbia. They speak of the things that unite us, the culture and the environment and the common threads that run through all of nature. The slogan suggests a level of mystery and intrigue that blankets the whole province. And Destination BC invites you to discover the spirit of the land by adventuring into the bustling cities and the untamed wilds. We live in a beautiful province, even just the lower mainland. To the west, the rush of the ocean. To the north, the forest-covered mountains shadow our every move. To the east are the valleys, full of life and vitality. As our license plates say, we truly live in beautiful British Columbia. But there's more to nature than nature itself. Destination BC's slogan speaks to a deeper reality, even more supernatural than they might admit. As our text today from Romans 1 reveals, All of creation reveals to us the power and the glory of a creator God. Nature puts God's glory on display. But Paul, the author of the letter, also reveals something of our own human nature. So I invite you on this journey into the heart of God and the heart of people so that we can see how beautiful the gospel truly is. If you haven't yet, open your Bibles with me to Romans 1. I'll be using the ESV this morning, which is one of the English translations of the Bible. If you're on a computer, you can just type Romans 1 ESV in your search bar to follow along. Although we're focusing on verse 18 and onward, we'll dip back to verse 15 at the start here. And as we get started, let's pray together. God, I just pray that you would be transforming our minds and our hearts today. If there's anyone watching who doesn't know you yet, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. God, that my words would be from you. And Father, I pray that you would inspire your children today to see more of you in the world around them and to know the love that you have revealed to us through Jesus, that it would draw us 
to go out and share this good news with everyone that we know in every opportunity that we get. Be with us this morning. Open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears to hear you. I pray this all in your name. Amen. As we enter today's passage, it will be important to remember that Paul has laid a foundation in chapter one, and he's about to build the next level. We know that because verse 18 starts with the word for. Some translations choose not to include this small word, but it intimately relates what Paul has just finished saying to what he's about to say. He's building a case. What is the foundation that he's laid? It's the foundation of the gospel, the good news. Look at verses 15 to 17. Verse 15, Paul is eager to preach the good news, and he's eager to preach because, verse 16, he's not ashamed of the news. And he's not ashamed of the news because verse 17, it is the news of God saving people and restoring us to right standing with him, returning us to the right way of life. Paul is so sure that what he has to share is good news. The gospel is a revelation to us about the righteousness of God. We'll see that word a few times today. The heart of God is revealed in his righteousness. By dictionary definition, Righteousness means the quality of being morally right or justifiable. The word right is couched in the word righteous. To stand upright, to not be bent in our understanding, that which is good and just, these are ways that we can define righteousness. When it comes to God, righteousness is core to who he is. All that he does is right. He is the standard of what is right. And when he created the world, He set things in order. He created things the right way. In verses 19 and 20, Paul tells us this righteousness is on display in nature. We'll come back to verse 18 soon. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. We often look for proof of God. We want to hear his voice. We want to see his face. We want to know that he is real. Paul argues that the natural world is that proof. We are living in the middle of God's exhibit A. Take, for example, Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who bade heaven and earth. Creation, when viewed correctly, leads us to see a creator whose power and nature is on display. Or take Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Even without a voice, creation cries out, Look at the creator! Look at the Almighty! Look at the wonderful and awesome God! The purpose of nature is to point us back to the creator. In order to be the creator, God has to exist prior to creation. The writers of the Bible presume God's existence right from the front cover. If he doesn't exist before everything, he would just be another part of creation. For God to be God, he has to come before anything else existed. This is part of the reason that the angels of Isaiah 6 fly around declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is filled with his glory. Holy means set apart, different, unique. So although we can't physically see God, since he's not material and is 
therefore invisible, he has blatantly and beautifully left his mark all over creation. The whole earth is full of his glory, and all that he made was good. All that he made was right. Remember, the heart of God is revealed in his righteousness. Here we can learn something about ourselves as well. If God has created everything, then he's created me. He knows me. He knows you. Every person on the planet is known by God, and we are special in all of creation because we have the honor of being made in God's own image. We also are distinct and set apart from the rest of creation, similar in that sense to God. So God gave us the honor of representing him here on earth. We understand honor, especially when it comes to family relationships. Well, mankind received the highest honor to be God's image bearers. Think on that. When you wash your face or you brush your teeth, you come face to face with a person designed and loved by God. In meetings, on the train, at the grocery store, the annoying kid in your class, the colleague who's a little awkward, the driver who cuts you off in traffic, God has placed his image on every person you meet. Every person on the planet is designed with purpose. The main purpose of our existence is to glorify God, to know him, to be known by him, to make him known. We were created for relationship with him. As our father, he loves us. He cares for us as his children. He cherishes time with us and speaks over us with affection. Our very existence depends on God and he so freely invites us to experience life to the full. God is so glorious, so wow, that he created the material and the spiritual realms to celebrate him. For anyone other than God, that sounds arrogant. But if God is the most beautiful, the most intelligent, the most wise and wonderful and wow, then to be brought into that experience, that existence is the best thing for us. Making much of God is the express purpose of creation. He's the star of the show. This is effectively what Paul demonstrates in verse 19 and 20 of Romans 1. We can encounter God every single day in every single moment simply by existing. I don't often realize just how present and powerful God truly is. So with that in mind, let's go back to verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. As it turns out, God's righteousness that brings salvation is the same righteousness that brings wrath. The bad news, my friends, is that we have incurred the wrath of God on ourselves. Here we discover that man's heart is revealed in his rebellion. Now, you might not see yourself as a rebel. Most of us wouldn't. A rebel is someone who rises in opposition against an established government or ruler. We see rebellions all over the world, no matter the form of government. But why would I say that we are in rebellion against God? Paul knows that the gospel of salvation is only good news when we come to terms with the bad news when we know what we need to be saved from. Paul dedicates most of the first three chapters of Romans to the reason that God is just in pouring out his wrath on us. John Mark Comer describes wrath in this way. Wrath is the emotionally healthy response when someone you love does wrong or is wronged by another. So where is the wrong that is done for God to be wrathful against us? What has made us, as the text says, 
ungodly, and unrighteous. Paul writes that for all of this evidence of God's existence, man chooses to suppress the truth of God. We look for alternative truths, subjective relativism. We try to explain how the world got here without considering God. Even if we don't actively reject God, we naturally neglect our primary purpose, to glorify him. We go through life more concerned with grades than with God. Our focus is on finance and not the Father. We fill our heads with entertainment instead of thoughts on the eternal. Apart from God's love awakening us to this reality, apart from God breathing new life into us, we ignore him. We actually run the other way. We push the thought of God out of our mind. In verse 21, Paul highlights specifically that man doesn't honor God and doesn't give thanks to him. For all that God has done, for all that God is, he deserves our honor and our thanksgiving. But we don't live life the way it was designed. We can't live in the honor that we've been given because we don't know the God who gave it to us. And so because we don't honor God, our hearts are given over to darkness. Imagine the power goes out as it does in our winter windstorms here in the city. If you light a single candle and leave it in a room, it gives light to the room. But if you move away from the candle, eventually you're going to find yourself in darkness. Not all at once, but with each step away from the light, you move further and further into the darkness. The same is true when we reject God, when we reject his way. Verse 22 says that we've become foolish in our thinking. Because we've chosen our own way instead of God's way, we cannot walk in wisdom. This summer, we're going to study the book of Proverbs, and it's there that we find the following declarations. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge, and the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Fearing God means revering him, recognizing his holiness, his righteousness, and living in that reality. Where is fear of God when man refuses to acknowledge him? It's nowhere to be found. Wisdom comes from God, so not knowing him means we give up the design of our lives. We strike out on our own, thinking that we can create our own purpose, our own fulfillment. But we can't shake our need to worship something. So we try to fill that need with anything else. We run so far from God that we decide to worship other things instead of God himself. Verses 23 and 25 show us that man cannot help but worship. We exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling man, a mortal man, and birds and animals and creeping things. It's wired into us. We throw ourselves at fame and sex and fortune, believing those things satisfy. In some cultures and religions, animals are revered as gods, or at least a form of the divine. We attempt to create the rules of engagement for our life, but that's God's job. We aren't God. Think back to the Destination BC commercial. It's easy to be captivated by creation. I've gone out many afternoons to stare at cherry blossoms, to take in their delicate and intricate beauty, to smell their aroma, and watch the bees buzz around and do their work. Any photo I try to take doesn't quite do the world justice. Nature is incredible, but we can't stop at nature itself. We miss the point of nature altogether. Everything we see is designed to reveal to us a powerful and mighty God. The majesty of nature is to direct us to the majesty of a creator. 
By exchanging the object of our worship from the true and living God to something less, we dishonor God. We make him just another thing. This is our darkened heart, not giving honor and thanks to God. So what's the result of walking in darkness? When I get out of bed through the night, if I need to get water or use the bathroom, I don't turn on the lights. I know the layout of my room and my house. At least I think I do. But sometimes I forget if I left a door open or closed, or if the laundry hamper from yesterday is still on the floor, or if I'm six inches to the left or the right of where I think I am. I'm clumsy. I bump into things at the best of times, and walking in darkness just makes that worse. I'm going to stub my toe or hit my head. When we live without God, we give ourselves to dark desires. Without following our creator, we wade into the wickedness and experience the depravity and destruction of our souls. Because we didn't want God, God turned us over to the ungodly things that we did want, to the lusts of our hearts. Because we exchanged our rightful worship of God with the corrupted worship of lesser things, because we worship the creation rather than the creator, we can't possibly live in the fullness of life that only God provides. Our rejection of God leads us to death and dishonor. We dishonored God by rejecting him, and so we dishonor ourselves. The inclinations of our hearts lead us to despair. Our eyes are inward focused, our thoughts selfish, our desires self-serving. When we suppress the truth of God, we are blind to his glory. And instead of seeing him as the provider, we see him as the jailer. We think he's keeping us from things and we view all his rules and commands as binding us rather than knowing his commands are for our safety, our well-being, and our success. So if we don't want God, God gives us over to the things that our hearts do want. Back in verse 18, Paul writes that the wrath of God is revealed or is being revealed from heaven. God's wrath is already being poured out. We see all of creation in turmoil because of sin. God is presently allowing us to experience his wrath. Although God created all things in order, since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, we can all see that our world isn't running the way that it should. This is the consequence of our sin. This is a display of God's wrath against evil. Now we experience earthquakes, tsunamis, famine, and flood. We endure plagues and war, death, and destruction. We see and deliver broken relationships, broken promises, lost hopes, and dreams. Murder, theft, violence, evil is on the rise. God is allowing us to reap the results of our rebellion. But isn't God a God of love? Yes. Isn't he merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love? Yes. Didn't Paul open this whole letter by saying that God loves the saints in Rome? Yes. But because he is love, he responds with wrath. How do we bring these two things into union with one another? We don't have to look much further than our own human experiences to know that wrath and love can flow from the very same source. If you have a child or a friend who's bullied at school, your love for them spurs you to anger. If your friend confides in you that they've been assaulted, your love for them pushes you to rage. When you see atrocities on the evening news, your compassion for your fellow man makes you incredulous at the evil 
that takes place in our world. A natural response of love is anger. So for as much as God is love, he is also wrathful. That's actually very good news. We need a God who is angry. The theologian Miroslav Volf says, though I used to complain about the indecency of the idea of God's wrath, I came to think that I would have to rebel against a God who wasn't wrathful at the sight of the world's evil. God isn't wrathful in spite of being love. God is wrathful because God is love. God's love is so beyond ours that his anger against evil is beyond anything we could imagine. Love is wrathful. It is because God is love that his wrath pours out against evil. It is because he is gracious and merciful that he deals brutally and justly with sin and injustice. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. This is very good news. Now you might say you aren't as bad as the next guy. All right, fair enough. But that's not the standard of measurement that God uses. It's not enough to be better than the next guy. God's standard is himself. And as we said earlier, he is perfectly righteous. So who measures up? There is no one. In a few weeks, we'll see in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all darkened in our thinking and given over to foolishness and futility. God is righteous. We are rebellious. Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our sins, following the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. What hope is there for us when the very thing we need is what we run away from? We are all in desperate need of salvation and rescue. We can't do it ourselves. We perpetuate evil and have evil perpetuated against us. What can save us from ourselves? Chris Rice sings a song aptly named Naive. One of the verses says, I hear that a God who's good would never let the evil run so long. But I say it's because you're good, you're giving us more time. Because I believe that you love to show us mercy. Remember, Paul's whole argument here for our rebellion comes on the heels of verses 16 and 17. His declaration that God's righteousness reveals salvation through faith. So we have to return to that. Paul isn't beating us down and leaving us in the dark. Instead, he's showing us that we can't save ourselves by any amount of worldly wisdom or knowledge or even through some spirituality apart from the one true God. We must return to the wisdom of God and the mercy of God revealed through the gospel. Though God is glorious, though he is wrathful, though he demands holiness and has every right to demand holiness, he's also gracious. The entirety of the gospel reveals his grace. And here we are returned to the beautiful work and person of Jesus Christ, son of God. The heart of Jesus is revealed through redemption. We've said that creation reveals God's power and divine nature. However, it does not reveal his intimate and personal relationship with us. Yet in his wisdom, God took on flesh, becoming like created man in every way, except without sin. Jesus Christ entered the world fully God and became fully man to identify with us. He experienced the evil of sin, though he himself never sinned. Jesus says in John 14, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. 
A similar statement is made in Hebrews 1. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The mission of Jesus was to seek and save the lost, to return rebels to their creator, to turn sinners into saints, to bring dead people to life. That's what he accomplished through his perfect life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. The wrath we deserved for our unrighteousness was poured out on the Son of God so that we could all become children of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God revealed in the gospel becomes ours. Jesus took the wrath of God on himself, paying that price, and he redeems us. He clears that debt and gives us his righteousness. I don't know how to emphasize that enough. We are adopted into the family. We are children of God. And now we get to live like saints because we are indeed saints. Don't let the lies of sin make you think that you're worthless or beyond repair. Because of the work of Jesus, because of what he's accomplished for you, you can overcome. He gives you his Holy Spirit to work in you. Paul, in other letters, writes that we have already overcome with Jesus. So stand tall, Christian, in the presence of your Father, who loves you and empowers you and gives you his Holy Spirit. Resist evil, run to the cross, see the empty tomb, see the ascended Lord, and take hold of the new life you have been given. You are not under wrath anymore. That's the point of Paul's writing here. See what you have been delivered from, the foolishness, the futility. Live free. Live full. We now get to grow into the holiness that has been declared over us. God, in his holiness, could have wiped us off the face of the earth and been done with us. That's his right. But in mercy, he is giving us more time. More time to realize our state of rebellion. More time to repent and receive redemption through Jesus. More time to return to our loving Father and enter his presence, not as convicted criminals, but as cherished children. Paul concludes our text today by praising God. The creator is blessed forever. Amen. It's only through the work of Jesus and trust in Jesus that Paul has discovered this truth of who God has made him to be. Jesus declared in John 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Though we walked in darkness, God sent Jesus to be our light, to open our blind eyes and let us see. God in his righteousness is full of wrath against sin and sinner, and God in his righteousness is full of love for those same sinners. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is our only hope, to turn from being children of wrath to children of God, to be brought out of the dishonor of living apart from God and enter the honor of being his family. There will come a day of judgment at the end of time when we all must stand in front of God and give an account of our lives. Jesus is coming back. If we ignore or reject Jesus, if we don't turn to him and receive life, we will be forever separated from God, separated from life himself. But we have received the promise of Jesus that he saves us when we entrust ourselves to him, that his righteousness fills us so that we are as he is to the Father, holy, justified, righteous. 
Now we wait in anticipation for his return when he will set the record straight, condemning those who have rejected him and saving for all eternity those who have put their faith in him. It will be a terrible day of wrath and fury and a mighty day of deliverance for all who believe in Jesus and call on his name for salvation. So if you have not yet called on Jesus to be your Lord, today you can step out of darkness and into light. God is calling you to faith. Don't finish today without entrusting yourself to the only one who can bring you out of darkness into light. The only one who can bring you out of death into life. The only one who can deliver you from wrath and wrap you instead in righteousness. If you are God's child, there is now nothing that can separate you from the love that is yours in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We have every reason to celebrate the grace and the forgiveness and salvation that comes from our Father in heaven. And we have every reason to give thanks and agree with Paul and proclaim our creator is blessed forever. Amen. All of creation points to a creator. Every time you drive and you have someone in front of you, don't forget that their license plate says beautiful British Columbia. Don't miss the creator behind the creation. Don't forget that he created you to know him and has made it possible through Jesus and Jesus alone to experience the promise of life with him forever.